Listening to Sidebar with John Duran on the new channel Q on 103.1 FM in Palm Springs, 97.3 HD2 in San Francisco, 94.1 in Las Vegas, 97.1 in Los Angeles, 94.7 in Sacramento, and 101.5 in Phoenix, and of course on radio.com. And we are here November the 9th, 2018, to do a post-election wrap, and we can't even call it a wrap because they're still counting votes. Yeah, our, our knucklehead in the Oval Office this morning on his way to Paris with uh, all there's fraud going on all in Florida and Arizona and all these ballots turning up. Sir, you know, the reason it takes us a little longer to count votes is the entire population of North Dakota would fit into L.A. County about 10 times. You know, it takes us a little longer in the urban states to count votes, so you're just going to have to be patient. But joining me today, we've got two incredible guests. We've got Karen Oakham. I call her the LGBT Wikipedia of our community. She and I have been pals since I don't even know, Karen, what, the late 80s or so? Yeah, yeah with the, Lou Sheldon. Oh, my God. That, let's not spoil my day so early in the morning. <laughs> and we've got Samuel Garrett Pate. Uh, from Equality California, who I identified earlier as Pate. I put a little French twist on his mouth. I love it. Yeah, but it's actual Samuel Garrett Pate. It's more exciting that way. There you go. And we're going to do an election wrap. So, Karen, when, before, uh, when we were at the break, you were telling me about an NBC poll about LGBT turnout. What, what was that? Well, first of all, uh, Chad Griffin, from who's the president of HRC, uh, told me that he sent a letter to polling places, you know, like AP and uh, NBC and, and the consortiums that do exit polling, requesting that we finally be counted as a real demographic in the exit polls. Uh, some of them did that, including NBC. And NBC just put out their, uh, their exit poll we were, LGBT people were considered 6% of the voting population. 82% cast their ballots for Democrats in races where Democrats were running for House seats, so in those districts, uh, versus 17% rep- gay, LGBT Republicans who voted for their, you know, a elect- congressperson in that district. Sixty-one percent of that that LGBT voting bloc, women. Wow. Thirty-nine percent, the largest of any age group, uh, the age group being eighteen to twenty-nine. Thirty-nine percent of millennials turned out. Oh my God, that's awesome! So news. women's march. Yes, paid off. Yep. And millennials turning out. Yeah, social media they push one another. Well, we were hammering on them for weeks on this show, and I think everyone showed we got to turn out, got to turn out. Well, and and there was precedent because you know, as as you well know, Prop Eight. You know, nobody cared about Prop 8. I'm not going to get married. We already have those rights. Who cares? They won't take it away from us. And people woke up the next day and went, what? I've been discriminated against. <laughs> what? AB 101 in 1991. That's... We couldn't get anybody in LGBT world lift a finger to move the bill through the legislature. The governor vetoes it. 10,000 protesters. That's so right. So this that's what it takes. This time, people paid attention. Yeah. I think partly, frankly, thanks to Donald Trump, because oh, everybody oh, because is scared, Trump. <laughs> scared to death about what this guy's doing, and yeah. the fact that the New York Times had a headline yeah, yeah. basically saying that uh, Trump had a proposal, a plan to redefine transgender out of existence. Yeah. And yeah. it's like the Jewish thing, you know, I wasn't transgender, so I didn't stand up for them. I wasn't this, I wasn't right. that. Right. And then they came for me, and there was nobody to stand up for me. Yeah. People are standing up, you know, transgender. Uh, people have been making a big push. Uh, allies have been making a big push. I mean, ever since Barack Obama mentioned transgender people in his State of the Union address, we've gone from that to a huge turnout and now elected officials. That's awesome. Seattle, you were with uh, Gavin Newsom in Palm Springs last week, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And we actually, uh, when I was out there, we talked that day and we talked about sort of what we thought uh, the numbers would be for young people. And I think um, part of the reason that you saw this huge shift where you had these record numbers of young people turn out, record numbers of young people 
vote for progressive candidates and help usher in this wave of women, of LGBTQ people, of people of color, is because of the year and really couple years that we've had now, right? Um, from the Parkland shooting and uh, young people sort of leading the March for Our Lives after that, young people leading the Women's March, young people leading marches for climate, marches for equality. Um, when you know, there's been so much hand-wringing year after year after year about how are we going to get young people to care about politics? How are we going to get young people to care about uh, these issues that matter to our lives? Listen to young people. You know what I mean? I, I think when young people see other young people leading these movements and see that when we work together and turn out and make our voices heard, that we can actually affect change, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, that inspires other young people to turn out in a way that, you know, people being like, well, maybe if we just use Snapchat filters, young people will turn out. That doesn't work. <laughs> you know, like there's no secret sauce other than just show other young people actually involved. If you just show young people being disengaged, what do you think other young people are going to do? They're going to think, well, I, I guess I should just be disengaged too. Yeah, we almost got to make it uncool to not vote. Like right. If you don't vote, you're not cool. Right. That's what's got And be. it doesn't need to be some manufactured thing of like, let's run an ad with Madonna in it. Yeah. You know, I mean... God bless them for doing that in the 90s. But it Gen X, uh, you know, sure didn't turn out just because of that, right? Authenticity is what inspires people to vote. And so when you see someone like Emma Gonzalez get up there and stand in silence for six minutes in front of the nation um, out of protest against, um, you know, the lack of common sense gun safety laws in this country... That's authentic. That inspires other young people to want to be like Emma Gonzalez. And Katie Hill. And Katie, Katie Hill. Katie Hill is 31 years old. Absolutely. And bisexual. And uh, out and openly proud about yep. being bisexual. Yep. We did a, a cover story on her where she really explains how it is she can still be bisexual and married to a man. But her campaign manager was 29 years yep. old. One other thing, just before we yeah. shift off her for a second, I think it's important also in this sort of cultural moment to consider the shooting at, at Borderline, at the at the bar. Katie Hill said that, uh, not only is that in her district, but her whole campaign, she tweeted out about this, her campaign staff had planned to celebrate at Borderline. Wow. They decided, they, a lot of them were going to go there. Um, e Equality California has taken on gun control as an issue, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Tell, yeah. Me, tell, tell us what. Well, yeah. I mean, people, you know, after the after we were successful in the marriage movement, people said, well, what's next? What's left, right? Aren't we done now? And that's ridiculous. One, gun control is, or gun safety is absolutely an important LGBTQ issue because we know that LGBTQ people are more likely to be the victims of gun violence. Healthcare is absolutely, and Karen and I have had this conversation a number of times. Healthcare was the number one issue in the country this year. You know, you want to, you wonder why LGBTQ people turned out in record numbers. Healthcare was absolutely on the ballot, and healthcare impacts our community more than any other community because we're more likely to have pre-existing conditions. We're more likely to rely on things like Medicaid expansion and uh, other protections under the Affordable Care Act for our care. That These are LGBTQ issues, and these were some of the top issues at the ballot box awesome. this well, year. Time out, guys. we got to go to commercial break. <laughs> oh. We'll be back with more in uh, just a minute. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Morning, kids. You're listening to Sidebar with John Duran, November 9th, 2018, the first Friday after the election. And we are talking with uh, out LGBT journalist Karen Oakham and Samuel Garrett Pate from Equality California. And right before we took off the commercial break, we were talking about gun control. But the, the kids here over the break remind kids. I call everybody kids. The kids here reminded me. <laughs> Thank you, John. <laughs> You're welcome, Karen. <laughs> the kids reminded me that uh, the caucus in the U.S. Congress may be as high as 10 or 11. Is that what you were saying, Sam? 
Andrew? Yeah, so um, right now there are nine LGBT people who ran for Congress, both in the House and Senate, um, with Tammy Baldwin winning re-election to the Senate. Um, There will be at least nine in Congress, LGBT folks. Um, We could have as many as 11. We're still waiting on Kirsten Sinema, who ran for Senate this year in Arizona. She's going to win. She's She's looking looking like she's going to win. And then Gina Ortiz-Jones, who ran in Texas for Congress. She's an out lesbian Iraq War veteran, served under Don't Ask, Don't Tell, would be the first Filipina woman in Congress, first LGBT person from Texas in Congress. She is headed to a recount, and that race is super, super close. So that, we're that keeping is, our eye on that one. Karen, of course, you and I remember when it was just Jerry Studs and Barney Frank, right? <laughs> I remember it was just our only members. And, and Jerry Studs and Barney Frank were, in essence, outed yeah. because of indiscretions. Indi- they would make my indiscretions pale by comparison. Well, I don't know about that, John <laughs> But they were both outed outed because of playtime with pages or something like that well and, and then you had mark uh, foley who was the playtime with mark pages foley, the, yeah. he was the but republican. he never came out until he left the congress right he was outed he was out through the page republican scandal. he was a yes, republican exactly speaker right. of the house yeah that's right and barney was subsequently reelected as an openly gay person right, right, so right. you know the, the the scandal wasn't i mean his thing was that he had a a rent boy called a boyfriend, you know, in, who was staying with him, who lived with him, and apparently was turning tricks when Barney was in Congress. <laughs> and Barney said he didn't know anything about it. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> that damn press. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Yeah. That is so... This reminds... Oh, go ahead. Not to forget that we had um, a Republican bisexual from Connecticut who died of AIDS. Um, God, Westport, Connecticut. Uh, Come on, Wikipedia. Uh, you, know, you can I know, do it. I know. Uh, See, I remember look. the circumstances <laughs> and not the name. It'll come to well, me. Well, but. we had, and during the 80s, we had members of the California State Assembly die of HIV and AIDS. Yeah. It was very hidden. Yeah. It was very hush hush. Republicans and Democrats, they died of cancer That's or right. pneumonia. And we're like, no, it was HIV. It yeah. was, yeah. But to hear that we're going to have possibly a dozen. It's amazing to me. Right. And every single one of these members who would serve um, all came out before they ever ran for Congress, even the first time. Right. So this is in many ways um, a very different group because they came up in a generation starting with Tammy Baldwin, who was the first to to run openly for the first time and win. Um, You know, she's sort of the dean of the the caucus, certainly. Um, Every single one of them ran for the first time as out candidates and got elected. And if you look at like Katie Hill's district, those voters very clearly went to the ballot box and you know, certainly appreciated the fact that she was out and open, and I'm sure there are some LGBT folks in that district who were very excited, but most of those voters went to the ballot box and were just like, I like her. Yeah. She's great. Authenticity. Yeah. And this is Palmdale Lancaster, right? Yeah. This is Palmdale This is Lancaster. Simi Valley. But, Simi, but cops. The, a lot of cops. The the other thing daughter of a cop, Katie the Hill. The other thing that we should talk about here, though, is the way that cinema and the way that Katie Hill has, have run. Because they have not run as out, you know, major progressive. Lambda progress. on their sweatshirt, rainbow flags flying behind them. That's right. very true, right. but also kind of as moderates yep. in a number of ways and promising to be bipartisan to, you right. know, try to reach across the aisle. But which then is, Sharice Davids in Kansas, she kickboxing ran, lesbians, yes, oh, took very far to the MMA. left. She doubled down on the left and I she know, won in, in Kansas. Kansas. Right. Well, thanks to Chris Kobach. Well, yeah, he's a lunatic. <laughs> and of course, Ann Coulter tweeted Kansas you're dead to me and I love in the comment section some queen said why did somebody drop a house on you too <laughs> yes gay Friend people comedy yes <laughs> comedy wins again yeah. you know I, th- I just think it's so interesting a lot of folks wanted to going into this election to say you know what Democrats need to do is run to the center what Democrats need to do is run to the left what Democrat blah 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 what Democrats who won did was run as authentic candidates the in de- their district exactly the democrats district who won issues. the democrats who won focused on the issues that mattered in their districts and they were authentic they you know beto o'rourke for instance 
was left on some issues, was tacked toward the middle on some issues. But what was compelling about him was that it didn't come across as this like poll tested litmus test of, of on every single issue. He was just like, I'm going to tell you what I think and I'm going to be open and authentic and we can disagree on it. But I think people are going to support me because I'm telling them the truth. And that's refreshing, whether it's they're telling you the truth on a moderate position or telling you the truth on a left leaning position. They're just being authentic with you. Well, and the other thing about Beto O'Rourke is that he reminded so many of us who kind of remember 1968 of Robert F. Kennedy when Kennedy started talking about poverty and immigration. I mean, Kennedy, Robert F. Kennedy went to Harlem and saw the poverty there and got very involved. You know, this is a rich white guy, (laughs) you know. Uh, who had been a very conservative attorney general who just became incredibly progressive, wanted to get out of the war in Vietnam very responsibly. And Beto O'Rourke had that kind of inspirational uh, quality, I think, to him that caught up people in much the same way as Bobby Kennedy did. Yeah, and people were crying about, oh, Beto lost his race, oh, that means he can't run for president. No, it doesn't, kids, because George H.W. Bush lost his house seat in Texas, two years later became vice president under Ronald Reagan and eventually president. Abraham Lincoln lost lost the Senate race and two years later became president of the United States. And we're all watching also, of course, Florida and Georgia. Oh, my God. You know, the Trumpster was saying on his way to Paris this morning, oh, they're liberal Democrats, or it's Rick Scott, too. The liberal Democrats are up to fraud. It's like, just count the votes. God, Florida, what is wrong with Florida? Why is it always Florida? But I think that, yes, that's a point, but I think that part of the reason that there was sort of a sucker punch uh, right after the election is because those three high idealistic uh, races seem to have lost and that seemed to have you know sort of stopped the blue wave momentum ah uh, but we need to talk about that because okay. I want to talk about the blue wave actually happened yep. and there's a ripple going on right now we're going to talk about it when we come back from our commercial break you're listening to Sidebar with John Duran here on the new channel Q tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone news in order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively sports. That clock at four. Doncic. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Morning, you're listening to Sidebar with John Duran here on Channel Q, and we are talking post-election politics with my guest, Karen Oakham, LGBT journalist and Wikipedia of uh, Gay LA, and probably the whole country, in my opinion, and Samuel Garrett-Pate from Equality California, and we just before the break, we were talking about, did a blue wave happen, or did a blue wave not happen, and kids, they're still counting votes. There are still 10 undecided House seats, including how many? here in California, Samuel? Uh, in the House, there are four un- four races that still haven't been called here in California. And th- two of those are in Orange County, right? Uh, three. So, well... Two are completely within or, within Orange County. That's Harley Ruda, who's running against Dana Rohrabacher, but noted. He's, he's ahead. Russia guy. Right? Yeah, so he's up now four thousand seven hundred and fifty six yeah, votes. He's, that's increasing by about fifteen hundred a day. He's going to win that race. Got, that means Laguna Beach is going to have a, a Democratic congressman. Absolutely. Yay, Laguna finally. Yep. And then um, in Orange County, we also have Katie Porter, who's running against noted anti-LGBT extremist Mimi Walters. Um, she erased she was down by about 6,000 votes yesterday during the day she erased about 2,000 of those votes uh, yesterday when they reported the new numbers so if she keeps on that path she's going to win Gil Cisneros is in Orange County LA County and San Bernardino County Fullerton primarily up there yeah and what's his rate what's the distance he's he's now down about 3,900 votes but it was like you know over 5,000 the day before so again all of these races are trending in the Democrats favor and the, the if the numbers continue this way um, those three plus Josh Harder who's running up in Northern California and is only down about 1300 votes we could win all four of these remaining races in California well and what's incredible about that Orange County 
five congressional seats. Absolutely. We'll have five Democrats in the U.S. Congress, if your prediction is true, and zero Republicans yep. for Orange County. Zero. Orange well, County. Duncan Hunter. Duncan Hunter. I hate, he ran. Um, but he's, he's not in Orange County. He's San Diego, isn't he? He's well, Imperial County. That, yeah, he's yeah. down yeah, in Imperial. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's down okay. in Imperial. Yeah. Okay, I'll I, I mean, I, I, and I'm old yeah. enough, and Karen, you were there too. Orange County, Bill Dannemeyer in Fullerton, yep. lunatic that yep. thought that gays emitted spores that carried the HIV virus, yep. right? Yep. B1 Bob Dornan in Santa Ana, That's another right. lunatic who said, shut up, fag, at a, a, a town hall meeting. Yeah. Uh, you know, and then Dana Rohrbacher was the other part of that troika. Now, now he may be gone. So Orange County has gone from being red, red, deep heart, John Wayne, Ronald Reagan, to possibly five Democratic congressmen. I will say, if you haven't read it yet, the LA Times has um, an obituary for the death of Orange County. You have to read it. It's an incredible read. Um, takes you all through the history of Orange County. You know, the former KKK members who came out to or- and founded Orange he County. I know. Yeah. But it, it takes you through the whole thing and the changing demographics and the, you know, reform Republicans who were Republicans because daddy was a Republican and their granddaddy was a Republican and then they woke up one day and they were like, Donald Trump who? What? This is <laughs> this is not my Republican Party. Well, I think that what's important to realize is that the Secretary of State says that there's 4.48 million votes still to be counted. Yep. In California? In, in California. California that's, that's, 400,000 of which are in Orange County, by the way. That is what Donald Trump doesn't realize because he was he was complaining that votes are still coming in. Los Angeles County has more people than 41 states, 41 states, L.A. County, our county of 10 million plus has more than 40 states in the U.S. You know, takes a little while longer, Donald. I think that we also should mention um, Secretary, I'm sorry, uh, State Senator Ricardo Lara, Ricardo Lara who, uh, you know, looked to be losing, but now is like neck and neck and now is leading Steve Posner. He's going to win. Just by yeah. Yep, he's going to win. That one, um, you know, if you look at the swing during the primary from election night to when that race was finally, you know, when they finally uh, certified the votes at the end, um, that race swung about three points. He... It's already swung, you know, about a point. He's and they've got all these millions of votes left to ca- to count. Um, he's already ahead. He's going to win, and he will make history as California's first openly LGBT statewide elected official. You know, this brings up a good point we were talking about over the break, and that is just because you're LGBT doesn't mean you all agree politically. Carl DeMaio, Karen. Carl DeMaio. Tell us about Carl DeMaio. Well, I think that he's really the underreported story of this election. He's and a I, log cabin Republican. Well, guy, not right? log cabin, but he is a conservative. Conservative gay Republican. To the right of the log cabin Republicans. Mm. He's a conservative gay Republican with a radio talk show, as a radio talk show host, former San Diego City Council member, who is responsible for the gas tax repeal initiative, which Which failed. which lost substantially, right. but brought out so many Republican votes, which is exactly what it was there to do. It didn't work, but it that's what it was designed for. It didn't work, but I bet that he's going to be looked at as like the new, you know, big boy in the Republican Party. And that's going to be interesting because Eric Bauman, as we know, is the open Party gay. chairman for California. Yes, yeah. he's the chair of the California Democratic Party. So if DeMaio winds up as chair of the Republican... We'll have uh, Cal- both parties being led by gay men, yep. leading to California being the home of fruits and nuts. Yes, <laughs> that's, that's what the people all over the country will be saying. That's well, I'll say, <laughs> Karen, it, you know, it, it hurts my soul to give Carl DeMaio credit for anything in the world. But I will say that there are, there are Republicans who were looking at losing their seats here in California who hung on in part because of the gas tax um, there is a Republican there is a Senate a state Senate seat in Orange County that um, this was the special election earlier this year but that is Republican again uh, thanks to Carl DeMaio and his gas tax issue and um, 
And there are, you know, there are some Democrats who may have lost their seats in the state legislature because of Carl DeMaio. So um, certainly if you look down in San Diego at Duncan Hunter, who was indicted on how many counts, um, you know, that guy hung on to his seat in large part probably because of the gas tax being and on the ballot. John Cox, nobody knew who he was, but he Absolutely. sidled up to Carl DeMaio and got the publicity and got, what, 41% of the vote against Gavin Newsom. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Sure. So we'll pour one out for Carl DeMaio and let him go on his merry way as his uh, I, Fox a, News wannabe. I, Maybe they'll uh, finally give him a show, the poor I'm guy. I'm a reporter. I have I to know you are. the news. <laughs> I know you are. I'm not. Right. Kids, we got to wrap up. That's the end of our first hour. I want to thank Karen Oakham and Samuel Garrett-Pate for joining us here on Cyber Hour. John Duran, we'll be back after the top of the hour. Nerds. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Ready to expand your financial game? NerdWallet can coach you on smart strategies like choosing investments, finding your next credit card, and setting a budget that works for you. Score major points towards your summer vacation by learning expert tips for choosing a high-yield savings account and how to build wealth by investing in index funds. Slide into summer with smarter decisions in 2024. Follow NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Good morning. Welcome to Sidebar with John Duran. You're listening to us here on Channel Q, broadcasting in Palm Springs, Sacramento, San Francisco, Los Angeles, Phoenix, and Las Vegas. And we are doing a post-election wrap. My next two guests will be coming up later in the hour. Diane Abbott, one of the founders of the first LGBT political action committees in the country, MECLA, started here in Los Angeles, became the predecessor for HRC, and Seppi Shine, who's currently on the uh, HRC board. We'll be talking about the impact that women had on the elections, because this was the year of the woman once again. All those women's marches, they paid off big time. Women are rocking the House of Representatives now with 100 women in the U.S. Congress, mostly on the Democratic side historical numbers and people are saying was there really a blue wave or did that blue wave not happen or wasn't it a tsunami or maybe it wasn't a tsunami? kids it was monumental don't listen to the trumpster he, he, he he's trying to declare victory here okay here's his analysis it could have been worse is basically what he's arguing initially he was taking credit for all the big senate uh, pickups but as we're seeing now you know, the night of the election, we the, the Republicans flipped three seats from blue to red, right? In Indiana, in in, uh, in North Dakota, and in Missouri, they flipped those three seats. And out of that, they were all cheering, "Yay, we got fifty-four seats!" Uh, they went from fifty-one to fifty-four. But then reality continues to break in here. By Friday, three days later, it appears that Jackie Rosen has flipped the seat in Nevada from red to blue, took away Dean Heller's seat, bringing their 54 down to 53. And as of this moment right now, this morning, Kristen Cinema appears to have a comfortable lead to take the uh, Jeff Flake seat in Arizona, flipping that seat from red to blue. So that's another pickup for the Democrats, bringing them down to 52. And in Florida, it now appears that Bill Nelson's seat uh, with Rick Scott is within less than a half of one percentage point, forcing a mandatory hand recount. And of course, Donald Trump has gone into a tizzy, uh, calling, uh, oh, there's got to be fraud going on in Florida. And, you know, they're having to now recount the votes. Yeah, that's called a democracy, Donald. That's what we do here. We count the votes. And it appears that if Bill Nelson, in fact, holds on to his seat, the Republicans may have just shifted from 51 to 52. That is not a monumental event to crow about, Donald Trump. If that ends up being the reality on the ground after all the dust settles, the Republicans picked up one Senate seat at a time when they thought, oh, my God, we're going to wipe out the Democrats in 2018. It didn't happen. And with 10 undecided House races still being counted, they are coming in with Orange County, California, possibly going from an all red delegation just a mere 15 years ago to an all blue delegation, thanks to Tuesday night. And it appears that rather than having 30 uh, pickups, we may be closer to 40 
house seats. So 40 house seats shifting and a marginal gain of one in the Senate at a time when they thought they were going to really knock the socks off the Democrats shows us something really spectacular happened. What else happened? Colorado, the Democrats picked up the state Senate for the first time. Connecticut, they've now locked in a Democratic majority uh, in the state of Connecticut. Delaware, for the first time, wiped out every Republican running for statewide office. Florida flipped two House seats in Orlando. Idaho, Democrats gained House seats in Pocatello and Boise. Iowa, they gained every House seat in the suburbs of Des Moines in Iowa. Maine, they took both houses of the state legislature in the state of Maine for the first time in, in decades, the Democrats did. Montana, John Tester held on to Montana in a time when they thought he wouldn't, and they picked up two house seats in Cascade County. Nevada is turning blue. Nevada and Arizona are going purple. They're turning blue, creating this amazing blue wall on the western United States. I am old enough to remember when we used to have partisan races on the West Coast. That is not happening anymore. Washington, Oregon, California, a solid blue wall along the Pacific Ocean, now extending into neighboring Nevada and Arizona and New Mexico and Montana shows that something incredible is going on as our politics realign. Not only people in big urban areas along the coast, but we're joining hands with people in the suburbs who are spooked out by Trumpism and the insanity and chaos that's coming upon our country and being joined by environmentalists, people who really care about the environment in the wide open spaces of Montana and New Mexico. It's extraordinary. New Hampshire, Democrats uh, flipped four Senate seats. New York, for the first time ever, New York, the Democrats have finally won the state Senate. State of New York does not have the same LGBT protections as the state of California. Even though they have New York City, the Republicans have ruled the state Senate in New York for decades. No more wiped out by the New York City suburbs, giving Democrats control of the state Senate, which means we're going to see some progressive LGBT legislation finally in the state of New York. Oregon got a supermajority in the legislature for the first time in Oregon. Oklahoma, they made gains in state legislative races all around Oklahoma City. And in Texas, thank you, Beto O'Rourke, finally broke the supermajority Republicans held. So, kids, when you look at everything that happened all across the country, I know that we were all invested in Beto O'Rourke in Texas and Stacey Abrams in Georgia and Andrew Gillum in Florida. And he, by the way, they may still pull it off. They're still counting in Georgia and Florida. And we were so invested in those three because the three, those three candidates made us feel hope again, like Barack Obama did. But let's not forget everything else that happened on election night. We had an extraordinary night and finally are bringing some balance back to this country. And how do we know that that that's happening because the day after the election, Donald Trump fired his attorney general, Jeff Sessions, and brought in uh, one of his cronies to, to come in and protect him because the rumors floating around Washington right now is at any moment now, Donald Trump Jr. is about to be indicted, starting the Mueller prosecution of the criminal enterprise known as the Trump family. And Donald Trump knows that he has some major vulnerabilities and exposure, that the election of 2018 was a resounding thump. Let him say whatever he wants on the air. Ignore the crazy man behind the curtain. It doesn't matter what he says. Look at the reality on the ground. And the reality is, with Adam Schiff now as the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, he has the tools and the power to protect Robert Mueller so that Robert Mueller can bring his report forward to the American people to show what shenanigans the Trump family was up to with the Russians and how they were impacting our democracy and how they've abused their 501c3 foundation and how they're violating the annulments clause of the U.S. Constitution by doing business with foreign dignitaries and all the other criminal activity, the entire cabinet indictments and fraud and corruption. Donald Trump's campaign manager, guilty, convicted of federal crimes. Assistant campaign manager, guilty, convicted of federal crimes. His personal attorney, Cohen, guilty, convicted of federal crimes. His former national security advisor, guilty, convicted of federal crimes. 
It's all going to come to blossom in 2019, and it's all going to happen because of the election of 2018 that we actually created a democratic response to Trumpism that is going to force this country to deal with Donald Trump in a way that he is not going to like. He is not going to like, and every time he talks, just do what I do. Pretend it's like that teacher in Charlie Brown, just bump, 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 because the words don't matter, because they're probably not true. They're probably lies and exaggerations and euphemisms, and they shouldn't be trusted or treated as credible. And just know that in the end, Americans' judicial and justice system will prevail, that there are enough of us in the United States of America that do believe that nobody is above the ball, above the law. Nobody. Uh, can do what the Donald Trump uh, family has done and get away with it. And justice will prevail in the end. Stay tuned, kids. 2019 is going to be a rock and roll year. You're listening to Sidebar with John Duran. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allowed 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months. Good morning, kids. Welcome back. You're listening to Sidebar with John Duran, and you found us on the new channel Q, 1031 FM in Palm Springs, 97.3 in San Francisco, 94.1 in Las Vegas, 97.1 here in Los Angeles, 94.7 in Sacramento on 101.5 in Phoenix, and of course on radio.com. And we are doing a post-election wrap-up, and my next two guests, incredible women, both of them, Diane Abbott, she's been on the show before, one of the founders of MECLA, the very first gay and lesbian political action committee uh, in the country. Started here in beautiful Los Angeles, uh, became the predecessor for HRC, which of course leads us to the uh, incredible Seppi Shine from the Human Rights Campaign, who is here, also been on our show before. And we're going to talk about the elections and what all happened. You got, Before the two of you got here, Karen Oakham was here last hour, and they did some exit polling on LGBT turnout. And for LGBT, 61 percent were identified as lesbian women, meaning that lesbian women turned out in higher numbers than gay men. Okay, don't you both look at me smugly like, of course, <laughs> of course. But that was a great statistic, I thought. We, yeah. we always turn out. We, we uh, are great at um, organization, creating organization in the marches and the rallies and, I think and that's very turning true. out the vote. I think that's very true. Gay men were good at centering the furniture. But I'm so glad we have lesbian women because they're great about organizing us and getting us pulled together. Diane, are you happy about the election? Of course I'm happy. That's a given. Um, I think that I would have liked to see one of my and everybody's three pet races, just one of those people win. I think that that would have been really, really meaningful because people rallied around those three races. You're talking about Beto O'Rourke, Stacey Abrams, and Andrew Gillum, right? I am. Well, Stacey and Andrew aren't done yet. They're still counting in Georgia and Florida. So you may get your wish on one of them still. Yeah, I think that people really rallied and that they wanted so much to see this blue wave. And for the blue wave to really have been felt, would have been great to have one of those races, ours. Yeah. Well, you may still get that. Before you came on, I talked about all the different legislative bodies that have flipped. State of New York, the reason they don't have LGBT legislation in New York, the Republicans have held the state Senate for decades in New York State. Gone. Republican majority gone in New York. The Democrats now control the House and the Senate and the governor's mansion in New York. We expect progressive LGBT stuff coming out of New York. Seppi, you are ruffling through papers. I know that means that you're organized. What, what, what do you want to highlight for the us? Organized lesbian is ready. Um, <laughs> I am ecstatic about the results. And um, I do agree with Diane um, that it would have been amazing. It would have been a, a, a blue monsoon that would have been lovely but we got to remember too that these three states are um, heavily inundated with voter suppression and i'm excited that gillum is within the margin of an automatic 
uh, recount. Now, it's not going to be by hand, unfortunately. It's going to be computer recount because of the, the way their laws are written for him rather than Nelson, who is actually going to do a hand recount, which is better, in my opinion, for this for the state senator position. Um, but in Georgia, I mean, it was it was blatant, blatant voter suppression. And um, that's why she's hanging on, hanging on and, and continuing to fight uh, for the, every single vote. And we'll see how that progresses. Yeah, and she's just got to get Brian Kemp below 50 percent. That's exactly. all. That's Even right. if she's that's behind, it. just get him below 50 percent for the forces an automatic runoff. And that would bring, I mean, it's so obvious that it would bring a lot of more people out and let's do it right this time. And Texas, I mean, Texas, how, who would have even imagined that we'd get so close? I would have right. loved for him to win. But wow, that positions us at, in an incredible place, right? Yeah, yeah. And um, I 240 plus LGBTQ people elected. Oh, really? Across, Across the country? 240 plus. Ooh, the Victory Fund Conference in December is going to be packed. It is going to be jamming. And a hun- over 103 women. And there's still results um, that we're waiting for to come in. Um, and so I'm very excited. And we just got to keep vo- working on voter suppression and eradicating that or lessening it as much as we could. Um, HRC worked um, tirelessly on more races, on getting out the vote in more races than ever, and worked with coalitions. And that, I think, signifies the importance of different organizations working intersectionally together to uh, to not only elect, for example, HRC, LGBTQ people, but women and people of color. And we did it across the board with organizations. Karen's exit poll that she brought in the first hour, the largest segment uh, voting block in the LGBT community, millennials. Our LGBT millennials turned out. Mm-hmm. That's exciting. It is right? exciting. Because that's always the challenge. How do we get our young people to turn out? They did. They turned out. Uh, it, it's very, very thrilling to me. Because I think, I'm looking, at, I've got Seppi on my left and Diane on my right. Diane goes back to the days when we stuffed envelopes and licked stamps. That's right. To organize. That's right. And, and, and put little pins in precincts so we would know where to go to call and walk. Meanwhile, Seppi's on social media, right? Yes, uh, yeah, yes, yeah. yes, I am. I am. Although I. Um, I was, I'm not completely a millennial, but I was in the wave of that social media. Internet happened when I was in high school. Right. So. One of the most followed Twitter accounts on Twitter is Ryan Knight, who was my campaign manager. He is proud resistor is his tagline. And he's got something like a bazillion followers on Twitter. Donald Trump has blocked him twice and lawyers have forced Donald Trump to put Ryan Knight back on twice because you can't block because people are critical of you as a politician. And just to see Ryan Knight go from millennial, because I met him, you know, many years ago, a young man in his early 20s. And he got the political bug. It, it happens, you know. I know Diane's story. She got the political bug because she came out in the 70s. And she's like, where are the other lesbian moms? Where are the other lesbians? Period. <laughs> Period. Period. Yeah. Seppi, what made you get involved with politics? Um, well, I think reason to go to law school, first of all, um, uh, when I was in my early 20s in college and the second year of college, my ex and I were in a coffee shop in San Jose that was termed, this is uh, a gay coffee shop, but not really. And the management had changed and we were sitting in the back patio holding hands. And I felt like the manager kept walking by and I got a little nervous. Next thing you know, a police officer and manager towering above us. Police officer looks at um, me and says, uh, you need to leave. The manager doesn't want your kind in this place. Whoa. And blows a kiss at me and winks. Okay, we're going to have to hear yeah. more about that after we come back <laughs> from commercial break. You're listening to us here on Channel Q. If your day sounds like... We need the report ASAP. You deserve Medella. If you've persevered through... You deserve this rich golden lager with a crisp but refreshing taste. Or if you overcame. Two more rings, two more. You deserve this ice cold reward. Modelo, the markable fighter. Drink responsibly, beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. 
Welcome back, kids. You're listening to Sidebar with John Duran, and we're talking to uh, Diane Abbott, one of the founders of Mechla and uh, HRC, and current board member of HRC, Seppi Shine. And Seppi, right before the break, you were talking about this encounter in a San Jose coffee house where you got tapped on the shoulder and said, your kind are not welcome here. Your kind are not welcome here, and, and the police officer blew, blew a kiss at me and winked, which was really uh Disgusting. And you got 86? You got thrown out? Yeah, we got thrown out. So we left. We were so scared. We were young. It was our second year in college. We were like 20. And we were kind of trying to figure out where we wanted to go to graduate school. And we got in the car and called 911 and complained. We knew something was wrong, but we didn't know what to do. And the the 911 operator said, well, did you get the badge number? You have to call the Office of Citizens Complaints. And so got off the phone. We were both crying. And then we just pulled off the side. We were driving, pulled onto the side of the road, and I turned to my ex and I said, you know what? We have to go to law school to create change so that this doesn't keep happening to anyone else like us. And you did. And I did. And, and I've been an activist ever since. Yes, and now we're grateful. Yeah. In some ways, we're grateful for that moment in that coffee house because it created Seppi Shine. It did. It did. It did. Just like the 2016 presidential election has really woken up the millennials. Yeah. For me, it was the HIV epidemic. Prior yes. to HIV hitting Los Angeles in the 80s, I was just dancing on the bass speaker at the Boom Boom Room. That was my activism. Mm-hmm. And Diane, you went to law school because you wanted to protect your kids, right? Well, I got my kids, but so many lesbian mothers were losing in court at that time that I really felt motivated. It's so hard to go through that custody battle. And that's what prompted me also in the 70s. I lost all my credit because women women did not get credit on their own, even though it was my credit that had gotten the credit cards we had. What what do you mean women didn't get credit on their own? Said the male, like unbelievably naive. Well. What does that mean? It means that stores such as, I mean, stores such as um, Neiman Marcus. I'm going to name you stores that you know today. The stores then, most of them are out of business now. But there was a store called Bullock's. Bloomingdale's, all of those types of stores, no department stores would give women credit. No credit card company would give women a credit card. It didn't matter that at the time I was teaching and all of those cards that I had or that we had came because of my salary from teaching. But when I got divorced, they canceled all my cards. Wow. Charging while being female. (laughs) <laughs> Drinking coffee while being a female lesbian. That's And now, Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi. Yes. California U.S. Senators, Diane Feinstein, Kamala Harris, right? I mean, 100 women in the House of Representatives, record number of women. Yes, but still less than one-fourth. So we still have a lot of work to do. But wow, in one election did we surpass all the records and we still need to stay engaged and increase the numbers so it's there's more parity so definitely it's important to keep up the momentum and continue voicing your opinions call congress because there's now uh, hundreds more people that actually care about what you're going to say from the democratic party and keep up the momentum keep being involved because we need to still shift this landscape there's even less lgbt people and then even less than that is people of color in Congress still. Even though we've had such amazing gains, I know we're highlighting some of them, but we still have work to do. We, uh, but two Muslim women, right, for the first time in the U.S. Congress? Two, two Native American women, women for yes. the first time in the U.S. And Congress? And four Iranian women. Really? Wow. In, not in Congress, but in uh, state uh, Senate seats and um, the first Iranian uh, female judge in North Carolina. Wow, that's very impressive. I think women are seen as agents of change. I think women candidates are seen automatically as something other than the good old boys. And if people are desirous of change, I think in many ways women get a leg up. Uh, don't you? Or am I just am I, I think just it am I being naive again? You know, a lot depends on the districts and the and the states you're talking about whether women get a leg up. The good thing is that Women, historically, many who live in the middle of America, mid-America, and who live in the South, have voted the way their husbands told them to. And the difference now is that women are starting to feel, I think that that this, this 
administration has caused a crisis in this country and that women understand that crisis and that that is why they believe that they can vote the way they want to instead of simply following what their husbands tell them to do. It is a big shift. And I was thinking about this, that every big change comes from pain. If we look at the HIV crisis, it actually brought our community together. People came out of the closet. They participated. They had people they loved. And they, and they realized that these people were seriously threatened. Um, going all the way back, the first big proposition in the state of California, no on six, which wanted to bar teachers who were gay or lesbian or people who empathized with them from teaching in the public schools in California. It, 1978. Yeah, yeah, and it just galvanized the community. And I think that this administration, as awful and terrible as it is, as awful as these last two years have been, it has galvanized people in this country to stand up and say, enough is enough. We are going to make a difference. Yeah. I think what's interesting is the new political realignment People of the urban areas are now locking arms with the suburban people, often suburban women. I mean, it has completely realigned. It has taken the blue wall of Washington, Oregon, California, and extended it into Nevada and Arizona, and now Montana, Colorado, New Mexico. Like, the entire western United States is going from, you know, red and blue to blue and purple all of a sudden. That's a new alignment. It's exciting. It's very exciting, and with the governorships that we've gotten, thank goodness, um, some of this voter suppression and redistricting that has caused is, is part of the cause for so many of these red states to just stay the way they have been. That's going to shift. It's going to take some time, but that's going to slowly shift too. So, um, and I agree, Diane. Pain uh, causes shifts and people to wake up, and because people inherently want to be in a place of joy. And what happened um, with the women is not just that there was a crisis. There was things that are directly affecting us, people of color and women. And so we got together with organizations like Emily's List that gave, is teaching women how to run, which is amazing, so. Yeah, very, very true. When we come back, we're going to have our last segment. We'll focus on now what? So now, now that we got control of the House of Representatives, now, now what? You're listening to Sidebar with John Duran on the new channel Q. We'll be right back. There are any number of reasons you might consider selling your home. That's where an agent who is a realtor comes in to navigate the process to sell your home in a way that's right for you. Because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. Good morning, everyone. You're listening to Sidebar with John Duran, and we're sitting here with my guest, uh, political power lesbians, Diane Abbott and Seppi Shine, and uh, we're having a discussion post-election. And before the break, I, I raised the question, okay, now that we the elections are done, because the elections, that's just the setting the stage, now that women have more power than they did before, uh, including Speaker of the House of the People's House of Representatives, now what? Do we just hold Trump at bay, or do we try to move progressive stuff forward? Um, well, we definitely are going to hold Trump at bay, uh, and Auntie Maxine is getting her subpoenas ready. Yes. Um, but with more women um, in the House of Representatives, uh, this is great because we can start having those progressive discussions at least, at least those, and it takes a long time to move things through, so we have another two years, and we keep keep working, keep getting amazing people to run for office because we have another election in two years, not just to get Trump out, but to get more people in Congress. And and the question that comes up in light of what happened at the bar and grill, the borderline bar and grill, you know, do we move gun control or access to guns, restrict access to guns? Do we start to move that forward? Because the House was the stopping point in the last legislative session. Do we do it? I think we do it. You know, if you want to go back and say the right to bear arms, well, then let's give people arms as they existed when our Constitution was written. (laughs) Everybody can have a musket. No, seriously. (laughs) And I think that one of our big problems is, first of all, there is no federal law which really controls 
who guns are issued to. The fact of the matter is some states have a cooling period and other states don't. People go to gun shows, they buy guns right there. They're not acceptable. There are, if we take a look at the percentage of mentally ill, emotionally troubled people in this country, it's fairly high. I don't know the exact statistic. But when we look at that, we need to be having some type of qualification to own guns. People need to, they need to not have any type of a police record, any kind of misdemeanors or felonies, which shows a recklessness if you're arrested for that. And I think we need to have some type of mental health evaluation. And I'm not sure how we do that. But I know that other countries do that. Israel does that. You do not have these types of you do not have these types of horrors in Israel because even though everybody goes to the army in Israel and they're all trained, not everybody gets to own a gun after their service. Right, but we got something in this country called the Second Amendment, right? I mean, you're all, you're all lawyers. I'm a lawyer. We're all yeah. lawyers. Second Amendment, U.S. Constitution. The right of the people to bear arms shall not be infringed upon. What are the limits? Where and you know, and people say, is this an LGBT issue? Absolutely. We got shot up at the Pulse nightclub in Orlando. We're often the victims of violent crimes. People who have handguns and guns come after us. So it is an issue for our people. I think that um, as far as the Second Amendment goes, what's happened is a broadening of the interpretation of the Second Amendment that has led us to such a crisis. And the things that Diane mentioned are um, checks and balances and safety concerns. This is not about taking people's guns away. It's about making sure the people that have guns and access to guns are able to use them for what they are for and not for being terrorists. And that every single terrorist that has committed mass shootings um, has, in the past few years, had some kind of interaction with police that has not been good. Right. And even the California has one of the strictest gun laws. However, this recent one, a few days ago, um, the guy used a magazine that extended his ability to shoot people. This was outlawed in California, but held up in court by the NRA. So that law actually hasn't been able to be put into place. So there's a lot that needs to happen for the Second Amendment. And meanwhile, our president is sending 15,000 troops to the border to stop a migrating caravan, calling them a threat to national security, women barefooted carrying their kids up from Honduras to stop them at the border. And in the meantime, within the last two weeks, some guy guns down, uh, you know, more than a dozen people in a synagogue. Somebody else guns down 12 people in a nightclub. Actual terrorism, actual threats to now, and nothing, because the NRA's got him by the throat. Yep. Yep. Yes, and and the administration just, he, he just today signed a law which even restricts asylum more than it has been. So it's going to be very, very hard for people to seek asylum in this country. Very hard. Yeah. Well, we'll see about that. We got the Congress. We got we the have, Congress. We got half the Congress. We got half the we Congress. We got half the Congress. But we got, I think we've got the important part, because the difference between the Senate and the House is the Speaker of the House controls the committees, and the committees can decide to bottle up legislation, to capture it and hold it, never release it. It's very hard to force a floor vote if something's held up in committee, whereas the Senate, you know, you've got 100 very powerful people going any which way they want, historically anyway, but with the House, you control the committees. You can just kill bad stuff. In yeah. the house, Completely. we definitely have a lot more negotiating power. A now. lot a more, a lot more. Oh. And the other thing I want to mention again: we talked about the Equality Act in the last show. Yeah. Now we can bring that on and get it passed because it has the largest bipartisan support. Right. That's right. We talked about this when Seppi was on my show. You used to know it as ENDA. Mm-hmm. It's now called yes. the Equality Act. And we now can move it through the House of Representatives. And if the election goes, as we're all watching, the Republicans may only have 52 U.S. Senate seats rather than the 55 they thought they'd have because cinema going blue. Jackie Rosen, going blue. If Bill Nelson hangs on in Florida, stays blue. Uh, they may only have 52 or 53, but they're not all bad Republicans. We, we've got Susan Collins, I think, in Olympia Snow from Maine on the Equality Act, I think. 
I'm not sure about uh, maybe the guy in Colorado, Booker in Colorado, moderate Republican on the Equality Act. So we we could actually put it on the president's desk and then, you know, and Donald he'll Trump, veto it. He'll veto it. But then there'll be a price to pay in 2020, hopefully. Yes, we certainly hope there'll be a price to pay in 2020. You know, one of the things that we are assuming is that all elected Democrats will vote for the Equality Act. And we have to remember that there are Democrats from moderate, conservative, and progressive. It isn't like everyone marches to the same band. They don't. So I'm not sure that we will see the Equality Act pass. Uh, You know, I would love to say we get in line. You know, that's the thing about Republicans. Republicans get in line. Lockstep. Lockstep. No, lockstep, goose step currently, but lockstep or goose step. Yes, they do. But Democrats... Fiercely independent. Fiercely independent. (laughs) But we we have 241 co-sponsors before this election. That's awesome. We only need 218 in the the House. The problem with historically is that Speaker Ryan and before him Speaker Boehner, look, I even pronounced it correctly, not like I did during the break, Speaker Boehner bottled it up in committee and wouldn't even let it see the light of day. Now we can release it out of committee. I just want so. to mention too, let's not forget uh, Mississippi, another potential Senate, is going to run off on November 27th, Epsi and Hyde-Smith. Right, wouldn't that be great if we took me? I never would have predicted Alabama. So, uh, yes. <laughs> I guess anything's in a country that can elect Donald Trump to the White House, we can certainly possibly pick up a Senate seat in Mississippi. We are coming to the end of our post-election wrap-up. I want to thank my guests, Diane Abbott and Seppi Shine, for coming out and having a talk about politics. Thank you both. Thank Thank you for coming back. Our pleasure. And uh, happy Thanksgiving to you both. We'll have a lot to be grateful for uh, this coming Thanksgiving. And I will see you all next week uh, here on Sidebar with John Duran. If I don't see you, have a happy Thanksgiving giving kids.